Wow, it feels um, hard to follow that. Let's just pause um, as we yeah, have listened to those words read in Ukrainian. Let's just pause. Um, it may be worth opening Lamentations 3 in front of you. It's 826. Let's just um, maybe just spend a minute in silence. If, if you need something to do, do open the text and just have a read. But I just think those words have come at us with such force and such reality as they've been spoken in that beautiful language. So let's just spend a moment. Father God, I just pray that as we examine this text, whether we're here in the building or watching online or listening midweek, that you would speak through your word. Amen. It's really good to be with you this evening. My name's Jack. I'm part of the staff team here at Christ Church. And uh, if this is your first time or you've not been in a while, uh, we're in the middle, the very centre of a series through Lent on the book of Lamentations. Um, so a little recap, because we've had a week off. Last week we were still lamenting, really, but we were thinking about the injustices of human trafficking, and so we haven't been in the text for a while. So um, if you flick back to chapter one, um, which is two pages in these, in these Bibles, um, we start in chapter one uh, with, I think my big word for that, that chapter is catastrophe, as they, uh, the writer, Jeremiah, sees the city is destroyed. And for each of these... Uh, Chapters. There's a there's a pronoun that is that is used primarily through that. So the first one is she. Uh, cities are feminine in scripture often. If you think um, in Revelation, you have Babylon, the great prostitute, and Jerusalem, the spotless bride. So she, the city, has been abandoned. It starts. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. And then. When we go to chapter 2, we move from the catastrophe to the cause, and the main pronoun is he, as, as the writer grapples with the fact that he, God, has allowed this to happen. And, and it's, again, it starts with another how, how the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. And so we have, go from catastrophe to the cause, which feels so wrong, and then we spiral inwards, and we see Jeremiah's coping mechanism in chapter 3. I would use the word coping for this last one, and that's the I, as it starts, I am the man who has seen affliction. It's no longer how, it's personal. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. This poem is the longest of the poems in, Jeremiah, in Lamentation, sorry, written by Jeremiah, um, and it has a really different feel, and it's the one that's probably preached on the most, because it has a little glimmer of hope right in the middle, um, and I've got four, I, I've strayed away from the Anglican three-point talk, it's, it's, it's amazing, um, we've got four sections, four directions that I think Jeremiah is moving in. So firstly, I think at the beginning of this passage, Jeremiah steps in to express the pain that he is feeling. He steps inwards. 
I am the man who has seen affliction. And, and I think it's worth noting that despite it being longer, it still follows the same structure as the previous two chapters. These are all acrostic poems, uh, which all it can make me think of is, is primary school. And I think that's really apt, because what we find here is Jeremiah at the very end of himself. It's all he can physically do. I mean, it's Mother's Day next weekend. Every school up and down the country, I'm sure several teachers in the room have it planned, and are going, oh, we need something for Mother's Day. They will write, I love mummy, down a piece of A4 paper, and they will write, I love mummy, literally the best, only mum for me, very, very good at something. You know, acrostics are the first thing we teach children because they're easy, realistically. I could pick a random projector, random word projector. I could write a poem about a projector very easily. Projects, the screen, rarely works. You know, it's really easy with, with the structure of having a word down the side of your page to be able to write something. And I, I don't think this is like a fancy poetic device. What I think it is, is Jeremiah going, I can't get this out of me. I, I can't. How am I going to do this? And I'm, I'm going to write just the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters down the side of a piece of paper. And, and he writes based off of those words and with the same level of ease to express his grief as I can about a projector because the form is dictated by this alphabet. And here it's not just 22 verses, it's 66. It's, it's not A, B, C, D. It's A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 D, D, D. It's almost like he can't... It's, there's not even space when he suddenly gets to how he can cope with this trauma to only have 22 letters. He spirals into his own grief because ultimately the God who has promised, if you think of the Psalms, to lead him to still waters and restore his soul has driven him into darkness. Verse 2. And shut out his prayers. Verse 8. The God who is meant to be helping him is now personified not as the helper, but as the hunter. He's walled me in. He's weighed me down. He's barred my way. He pierced my heart. He's broken my teeth with gravel. This is, this is no longer the helper. It's the hunter. And actually, in the greatest con kind of contrast, it, he's no longer the good shepherd that we see in Psalm 23 because he's not the shepherd guarding the sheep. Look at verse 10, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me. He's, he's not even the shepherd defending his sheep anymore. He's the bear. He's the lion. All Jeremiah can do is step inwards and express his grief. And this image that I think is so profound in verse 5, if you look down, he has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. And so much of the exile and so much of the kind of battles in the Old Testament are, uh, have sieges in them where they are, the enemy has encamped around a city and Jeremiah himself feels surrounded. And to be honest, we do too. We could all pause now and think, what is the thing that surrounds me? What is the thing that overwhelms me? What is the thing that I see no escape from? That when I look out of my window, as they would have done in the city walls, it's the only thing I can see. So Jeremiah steps in to express the pain that he's feeling, but then he steps back to see the plan that God is unfurling. Look at verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And suddenly, it feels like we're in a psalm rather than a lament. Now, some people, as I said before, lots of people preach on this bit of Lamentations because it's the light and the darkness. Some people think this is the interval of Lamentations. Like, this is the Thenardiers coming out in Les Mis to have a bit of a laugh after we've all cried for a bit. Like, I don't think it is. I don't think it is an interval. I mean, the A to Z structure definitely doesn't suggest that because we don't stop in the middle after M. There's um, a musical that I love. It's just stopped in the West End, um, and it's about to go on tour, so go and see it if you can. It's called Come From Away. Um, It's on Apple TV as well. I'm not sponsored, but it is very good. Um, And it's an amazing musical based on quite a strange concept in that it's a a musical that's based on the days um, following 9-11, when the airspace over America was closed. And basically, there's this town um, called Gander in Newfoundland. It's the northeast tip of Canada. And it's where, if planes were coming from Europe over to America, they'd stop. And then they'd refuel there. And then they'd go to wherever they were going to America. So it has a huge airport and a tiny, tiny population. And what happened when the airspace closed is that every single plane that was flying over America at that time, I think it was 38 planes, land in that airport. And the people of that town, it's a true story, it's a beautiful story, have to suddenly welcome and feed and find places to sleep for all of these people. And obviously, the story is beautiful. It's a story of humanity coming together. It's also a story that probably was quite stressful at the time. And the writers of that musical, very cleverly, decided there wouldn't be an interval in that show. There's, you know, halfway through that show, we don't pop out and nip to the loo, because actually, when that was happening, when that disaster happened, and every single plane was a bomb scare, and those people needed somewhere to go to the loo, and they needed supplies, and they needed somewhere to sleep, They couldn't just nip out and buy an ice cream for eight quid and check in the programme and see that this person was in Holby City like they thought. Like, they just, you just can't do that. There was no escape from the tragedy at the time, and so they're not going to let you out for an interval. I think it's genius. And I think here in Lamentations 3, we also aren't just let out for an interval. This little bit of light in the middle isn't a break, however much it may feel like it. What I think it is, I think it's Jeremiah stepping back It's not an interval, it's a perspective change. Because Jeremiah suddenly realizes something in verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. They're not completely gone. Think of me opening a box of Jaffa cakes. Like, that is going to get consumed. Like, there is no way I'm going to only eat one Jaffa cake, especially now they've made it 10, not 12. Like, they will go. I will eat one, and then I will eat the other nine. There is no mercy, there are no Jaffa cakes that will say, because of Jack's great love, we are not consumed, because they are all going, okay? They're all going. And what, and what Jeremiah here has realized is, wait, we're not all gone. We're not all gone. We haven't all been consumed. We haven't all been killed, basically. There is still a remnant of Israel. There is still a people. God's people are still a people, even if they are a smaller people, It makes me think of that passage, I think it can come up on screen, in 2 Corinthians, where it says, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. God's people are not destroyed. And because of that, he can say, Jeremiah can say in verse 23, great is your faithfulness. 
God is faithful to Israel despite their repeated unfaithfulness to him. And then in verse 25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And it's almost like Jeremiah is saying this, like, oh, wait, of course this is true. Of course this is what we've always known. And because Jerusalem wasn't doing this, they'd gone in a bad way, this is the consequence. Verse 28, let him sit alone in silence. The Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. And the perspective change becomes a priority change. He's stepped out and he's seen that God is good. And so his priorities change. So the next direction Jeremiah goes, Jeremiah steps out to tell the people. This is, it's a beautiful verse. Verse 31. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. It's like he's saying, this will end. And because we know it will end, we can endure. Because we know it will end, we can endure. It's the same as that 2 Corinthians passage uh, where there is still hope. We're not completely gone. And actually, we know as Christians that there will be a day where there will be no mourning, no tears, no war, no illness. This is, going to, this is going to end, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. And I can, if you zoom down to verse 40, I can almost see Jeremiah stood up in front of the people. It was probably just read as a, as a poem. But verse 40, let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. And they almost give an account to God following this. And this next bit is the bit that we maybe find hard because after stepping out and telling the people, Jeremiah tells God that it's his move. He, he makes those three moves and he says, God, it's your move. Jeremiah tells God to step up and punish Verse 46, all our enemies have opened our mouths wide against us. We've suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. And then verse 49, my eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. He wants God to notice the pain. And then as we read the next bit, he wants him to punish the enemy. He weeps until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. And in, in verse 57, Jeremiah recalls that God has reached out his hand and saved before. Uh, verse 57, it's just over the page. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear. He's done it before. And this last bit of Lamentations 3 is the bit that I find most compelling, but also most hard to watch Karina having read earlier. It's this bit at the end. Pay them back what they deserve, Lord, for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts and may your curse be on them. Pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Because the reason it's hard to watch is because it's so real. I remember filming it with Karina. It's so real when we know who the enemy is. We know who she's talking about. We know who she's praying that over. And the people of Israel knew who Jeremiah was praying over. We so often pray prayers like that over kind of intangible enemies like of depression or cancer or redundancy or bereavement. Put a stop to it. But Jeremiah's praying this over actual people. Save us and sort them out. 
restore us and repay them. And in all of this, there is still this element of being surrounded, of being under siege. It's because of that first step of moving inwards, the rest pours out of that. The rest completely pours out of this inward move that Jeremiah makes. And there's a beautiful story of a siege. Uh, It's in Two Kings. It's on page 374. uh, Feel free to um, flip over to it. Of another point in Israel's history where it's the northern kingdom, um, uh, are under siege. Samaria's under siege. And it's got really bad. It's got really bad. In the previous chapter, there are, there are women promising to each other, oh, if you eat your son, if you give us your son to eat today, we'll eat, your, we'll eat my son tomorrow. Like, it's got bad. It's got the worst it could pro- probably, possibly get. Because wherever they look outside, all they can see is the enemy. And the camera moves outside, and outside the city wall are four lepers. And they say in 2 Kings 7, verse 3, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine's there, and we'll die. And if we stay here, we'll die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans. That's the enemy. That's the enemy who are holding the city under siege. Let's go to the enemy encampment and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. And they, they take a risk. And they go to the enemy camp, and they walk in, expecting to see armies and armies, the armies that have forced these people to kill their children and eat them. And there's nobody there. The Lord has sent a sound like rushing armies and scared away the encampment. And they thought, well, what do they do now? They thought that was the decision made, you know, they'll see, we'll see what happens. And they see treasures, and they see food like they haven't before, and they start eating and drinking, and then hiding this gold. They find treasures, and they start burying it. And then there's this beautiful bit, and I have to read it directly because it's just gorgeous. (laughs) Verse 9, then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, literally a day of gospel, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they go and they tell the people in the city, the victory is won. The siege is over. The, the enemy encampments are empty. And I wonder as we read Lamentations and we see the hopelessness of it, whether we need to read it knowing that the victory has been won. Our world feels under siege. Goodness me. Our world, our lives, our friends feel surrounded by these forces of darkness, by bitterness and anguish, as Jeremiah says, as silence, as the idea that God is shutting out our prayers. And we are just the lucky people who've wandered in and realized that the victory's won that Jesus, through his death and resurrection on the cross, has has made a way. And even though they look out of their windows of the city walls and see the enemy encampment, the enemy is not there. The victory is won. They may be surrounded, or they may feel like they're surrounded, but the victory has been won by Jesus. And so I'd love to pray as we finish 
um, and I'd love the band to come up. I'd love you to stand. We're just going to, um, we're just going to pray as the band play over us. I'm going to um, pray over what we've thought about this evening because it's really easy, it's really, really easy to note that everything is a bit rubbish or it may feel like you're completely and utterly surrounded. And so I'd love to pray acknowledging first that we need to feel that pain. We need to make that step in as Jeremiah does. And that's easy for some of us and it's hard for some of us. And then we need to step back and we need to see where God is in amongst this whole thing. And then I'd love to pray outwardly and pray for our world as our heart breaks. And then we'd love, as we pray together, just to invite God to do something about these things. So let's just pause and still ourselves. And as the band plays, perhaps I'm just going to pray. Father God, for those of us who find it hard to acknowledge the grief and the sadness and the hurt, the overwhelming feeling that we're surrounded, would you help us to lament? Would you help us to express that grief? Because, Father, our heart breaks for the the situations that we see, but most of all for the situations we see inside ourselves that we constantly choose the wrong path, that we constantly choose to be unfaithful despite your faithfulness to us. And it breaks our hearts, and it breaks our hearts even more when we get to that point where we're so numb to it that it doesn't even break our heart anymore. Where we don't even feel it. Because we're so used to not including or acknowledging or remembering you. And Father, in that, help us to step back and to see your goodness and to see that the victory has been won, that through Jesus, the enemy encampments are empty. And they may look like they have power, but you have the ultimate authority. Great is your faithfulness. In your great love, we are not consumed. And Father, we look out in our world and in the language that Jeremiah uses, our hearts pour out as we think about the crisis in human trafficking, as we think about the war in Ukraine, as we think about corruption and oppression on huge scales. hearts break and we pray Father would you do something about it would you move God against the powers of injustice maybe just let's just spend a moment in our hearts praying over a situation that breaks our heart
Father God, our eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until you look down from heaven and see. Because we know, Father, that in the past you have come near to your people when they called you and you said so many times, do not fear. Father, help us not to fear. Help us to trust in you. Thank you, Jesus.